All right, good evening. Welcome to the mine. Yeah, we're glad to have you here this evening. Uh, just a couple of reminders before we get started tonight. And Seth and Phil are going to come and lead us in worship tonight. Um, next week is our last mine of the semester. And next week, uh, we hope all of you can make it. We're sort of going to make it the mine Christmas party. Uh, we're going to have worship. And I'm going to share about a 15, 20-minute message on Christmas that I think will be a real encouragement to you. Get us all in the, the Christmas spirit, if you will. And uh, then we're going to spend the rest of the time just eating, hanging out together out there. The cafe is going to be open all evening. The bookstore is going to be open all evening. Uh, we're going to have cookies and punch and all kinds of homemade goodies out there. And we would love for you to take the time to just be a part of our celebration of the mine this year and all that God has done. And uh, so that will be next week. So then we'll take the 18th of December off, the 25th obviously off, and the 1st of January off. Then we start back up on the 8th of January on Tuesday night, the 8th, diving into the book of Ephesians. And you won't want to miss that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right, and we want to try to get the word out about the mine, uh, and we're hoping that during the holidays that might be something that you guys can help us with, because we would love to see more people come out next year uh, to be a part of the mine with us. Let me also share this, especially with the holidays, and some of you may be looking for Christmas gifts, and I think this would be a good one. Uh, just today, the mine got in their shipment 10 new Reader's Edition Net Bibles and 10 new uh, study edition of the Net Bible. And I would highly recommend uh, those for yourself or for somebody else. Uh, they're great Christmas gifts. Uh, and it's the one that I use uh, in the mine on Tuesday and when I speak on Sundays. Um, in fact, just to give you guys a heads up, I'm going to be speaking in church on December the 30th. And I'm going to be speaking about the importance of spiritual growth as we head into 2008. So... Be thinking about that and praying about that. I'm going to really try to um, use that also as a springboard to encourage people to come out to the mine next year. So anyway, if any of you are interested in getting a net Bible, either the reader's edition or the study edition, they are plenty of them now in the bookstore over there at the church. All right, let's pray. And then uh, Seth and Phil are going to lead us in uh, worshiping the Lord tonight. God, we thank you so much. Um, for just the opportunity, once again, we have to be together to look into your word. We thank you, Lord, for the great time that we've had in going through the book of Romans. We thank you, Lord, tonight for um, just helping us to wrap up the book of Romans, I think, in a very encouraging way. And Lord, I just thank you for the faithful attendance of all these folks throughout this semester and just how it's grown, how new people have come out. And Lord, how you're ministering uh through this and just helping people, building them up, strengthening their faith. And Lord, that's what it's all about. So God, uh, tonight too, we just come at this time of year saying, help us to stay focused on Jesus. Uh, Lord, there's so much that can distract us from the real meaning of this season and help us throughout, especially these next several weeks to just keep our eyes focused squarely on Jesus and to make this whole season about celebrating him and lifting him up in our lives and in the lives of others. 
God, go with us tonight through our time together. Be with Seth and Phil. We thank you for them, for their talents and abilities, and Lord, for how you use them each and every week to help us exalt you. And then, Lord, just be in your word tonight. Just may your spirit just be here in a special way, just exploding through the pages of Scripture into our hearts and minds that we might be lifted up tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate Seth and Phil and their ministry every Tuesday night, and I know you guys do as well. Romans chapter 15, as we want to pick it up tonight as we close out our study of the book of Romans. And I just want to just pick it up there and just uh, then dive into Romans 16 tonight. We're going to be talking about plans, prayer, and people tonight. Plans, prayer, and people. And I want to first talk about Paul's plans And how we can learn about the plans that Paul made and how that sort of fits into our lives as well. Because Paul, in Romans chapter 15, was declaring to these Roman Christians that he had plans to come to Rome and to see them. In fact, if you just pick it up in verse 22 of Romans chapter 15, I'm just going to read down through verse 29. Paul says to the Romans here towards the end of this letter, This is the reason I was often hindered from coming to you. But now there is nothing more to keep me in these regions, and I have for many years desired to come to you when I go to Spain, for I hope to visit you when I pass through, and that you will help me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do this, and indeed they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are obligated also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, after I have completed this and have safely delivered this bounty to them, I will set out for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of Christ's blessing. The thing is, Paul finally did arrive at Rome. But he didn't arrive at Rome the way he expected to. Like many of us, we make plans and we are thinking we're going down this road and God wants us to go on a detour for his glory. And and that was true of Paul. The thing I want us to learn from Paul and from his life is how he rolled with the providence of God in his life and how it was okay to make plans and God is not against us making plans. The Bible says it's okay to make plans as long as we always say about those plans that those plans are ultimately contingent on what God wants. And if God wants to change our plans, he's God. He can do it and he has a reason for it. Because Paul got to Rome one day, but Paul got to Rome one day as a prisoner of Rome. He got to Rome one day, but when he got there, he spent years under house arrest. And so he didn't come to Rome the way he thought he was going to come. And when he got there, it wasn't all that he thought it was going to be. But God used him greatly when he was there to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome. In fact, the Bible, if you want to read about that, at the end of the book of Acts, the very last chapter, chapter 28 talks about the fact that when Paul finally got to Rome, what did that look like? And he was under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman guard for several years. And yet he invited people to come and see him. And the Bible says innumerable people came to see Paul and visit him. 
and ask him about Jesus and what it meant to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And so God used him in a tremendous way. How we can apply this to our lives is simply, again, this way. It's okay to plan. But let's make sure that our plans are always, in a sense, in submission to what the ultimate plan of God is for our life. And if God wants to change our plans, so be it. And we also have to trust that if God does change our plans, it's for His greater glory and for our greater good. And then you'll also notice the importance of prayer at the end of chapter 15. And we touched on this last week. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, verse 30, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to join fervently with me in prayer to God on my behalf. And we saw last week that that word fervently implies a struggling or wrestling against the opposition. That prayer doesn't come easy. It's not natural to our human flesh and to our human nature. And it's certainly going to be opposed by our spiritual enemy. And so prayer can be a great battlefield for the Christian. But I also want you to notice, not only does the great Apostle Paul ask for prayers on his behalf, but his prayers are very specific. And if I could just encourage you in one way tonight, keep praying and and be as specific as you possibly can be in your prayers. I think God welcomes us to be as specific as we possibly can be in our prayer life. Notice what Paul prayed for. Verse 31, pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Pray that my ministry in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Pray that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now may the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. And let's remember as as Paul is closing out chapter 15 and we're moving into chapter 16, he's talked about plans, he's talked about prayer, And now he's talked about God being the source of peace. And no matter what you and I are going through in our life, he is the source of peace, enabling us to navigate each and every situation in life that we will ever find ourselves in. God can give us that supernatural gift of peace because he is peace. And he is the God of peace. Now when you turn over to chapter 16, Paul talks about people. And how important people are in his life. And I hope here tonight that if we leave here with anything, that we leave here realizing just how great it is to have God in our life and how great a blessing it is that God has brought certain people into our life. Because we couldn't do this as well as we're doing it, meaning the walking through the Christian life, without God's help and enablement and without His blessing of other people into our lives to encourage us along the way and for us to walk the walk with them as well. And Paul was no different. Paul may be the greatest Christian who ever lived, but Paul was not what we call a Lone Ranger Christian. He did not live his life alone and isolate himself. He, he did not minister alone. All the great things that, say, Paul accomplished or God accomplished through Paul, it was because of all the great helpers that he had as well. And he's acknowledging that here. So Paul is saying that people are important. And when we come to a chapter like Romans 16, many of us are like, this is just a chapter of names. (laughs) What can I learn from a chapter filled with names? And one of the things I remind all of us is, but what if that was your name? What if that was my name? Wouldn't that be cool to have our name recorded in the Bible? Wow, look, turn to Romans 16, Jeff, you know, I mean, it'd be cool to have our name in there. And, and, and. 
having their name in Romans 16 meant something. And if our name was in there, it would mean something. And having their name in there means something to us too. And we're going to see why. Because isn't it true that when we come to church or when we're out in the world and we're, you know, moving through life, it's cool when we run into people and they know us by name. And it's not just, hi, how you doing? But they actually know us well enough to call us by name. And there's something about using our name and That's why I think it's cool that we have this whole fellowship one thing because one of the ways it helps me to learn your names, and I've got a lot more names to learn than you do. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, well, that's easy. One name, you know. I've got 300 people's names to learn. It helps when you wear your name tag, all right? Names are important. He uses 27, he names 27 people in Romans 16. And I also want to point this out, especially when encourage you gals here tonight. Nine of them are women. Now, you may say nine out of 27, what's the big deal? In that culture, in that time in history, to list nine women in any document, I challenge anyone to go back into history and to pull out an ancient document during this time in history and see if you can find one woman's name, much less nine Paul, I think, gets the bad rap throughout history as being an anti, anti-woman. Far from it. I think you're going to see in Romans 16 that by taking the time to basically show his appreciation for the nine women that he names, and he says some very wonderful things, that one of the things that Paul is saying is ever since the beginning of the church, the church wouldn't be what it is without women. And that women are equally important to men in the church. And that women have a vital role to play in the church. And that the church couldn't accomplish all that it has accomplished without the help of women. Over and over again, Paul is going to talk about that. In fact, he also, I think here, is talking to us about how important friendships are. Especially those good, healthy, spiritual friends that we have in our life who encourage us in our walk with God. It doesn't get any better than that. And Paul is reminding us of that tonight. So as we leave this place, I'm hoping that we're praising God for what He's doing in our life and what He's done in our life. And I hope we can leave here tonight praising God for those people in our life that God has brought into our life to encourage us spiritually. Because without Him and without them, we wouldn't be where we are. And that's exactly why Paul takes a whole chapter at the very end of this powerful book of Romans, to talk about these people. First of all, notice he mentions Phoebe. In fact, he says, Now I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sancria. Sancria was the port city of Corinth, about seven miles away from Corinth, where Paul was writing this letter. And I believe that he sent Phoebe to Rome with this letter that she was sort of the bearer of the letter of Rome and was going to deliver it to the Roman Christians. The name Phoebe means bright or radiant, and I think she was a bright and radiant servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 2, I'm I'm commending you to her, and that was important in those days. It was a letter of commendation. It was like, look, she's worthy of your support. 
You know, in those days, they didn't have the communication systems that we have in place today. So letters of commendation from somebody like Paul was huge. For the church at Rome to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul and for him to say, I'm commending Phoebe into your care, that was huge. And then he says, verse 2, So that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and provide her with whatever help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many, including me. I think he's asking the believers to practically assist her in lodging and in financial support while she's in Rome because she took part of her life to take this letter from Paul to the Roman Christians. And it was a very important letter and one that has been important to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for thousands of years. But I also want you to notice this phrase in verse 2. He says, I want you to treat her and welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. In other words, Paul is saying, because she's your sister in Christ, and she is a fine servant of of Jesus Christ, there's a certain way that you should treat her, and, and not because she's a Christian, you treat her sort of in a different way. It's... And I've been part of the church. I've grown up in church all my life. And one of the things that has saddened me over the years is when I see Christians treating other Christians a certain way and they sort of slough it off as, oh, but they're a Christian. They'll get over it. They have to forgive me or they'll understand. And it's almost like there's a certain mentality within the church that I'll treat people who don't know Christ to a higher degree than I'll treat my fellow brothers and sisters because, well, they're just my Christian brothers and sisters. Almost like I start taking them for granted. And I think what Paul is saying here, just like we shouldn't take each other in our families for granted because we get to know them a little bit too well, we shouldn't take each other in the body of Christ for granted. And we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks, how important these relationships within the body are to us and how we shouldn't divide ourselves with each other, and treat each other in a manner worthy of the way the saints of God should be treated. I I just think that's important. You know, I've heard people, you know, like for instance, an example of, well, you know, I'm going to expect this out of them because uh, they're a Christian, so I can abuse them because they're a Christian. Really? That's biblical, that that somehow I can abuse my fellow brother and sister in Christ, but I would treat a non-brother and sister in Christ differently? I think I should treat my brother and sister in Christ to the same level as anybody. In fact, maybe a little bit better because they're my brother and sister in Christ, not the opposite. And So Paul reminds us of that. And then notice in verse 3, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. A couple of things. First of all, Prisca and Aquila were a couple. And you never see them ever mentioned separately. Perhaps because they served so well together. I mean, they were just like, you know, and and not all married couples can do this. But some married couples not only can live together, but they can minister together. And they can do it quite effectively. That was Prisca and that was Aquila. You'll also notice that the Bible says that they demonstrated Christ's love and that they were willing to risk their own necks 
for Paul's life. In some way, and we don't know the specifics, they were actually, in a sense, throwing themselves out there to spare the Apostle Paul. It reminds us of what Jesus said, that greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And literally, there was an instance in Paul's life where this couple, in a sense, were willing to literally lay down their lives to spare the Apostle Paul's life. That's a challenge to me, that I would so live for my Christian brothers and sisters that I would be willing to lay down my life. And not just literally, but in a sense every day to sacrifice myself to build up and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then notice the word fellow workers in verse 3. This is the Greek word synergos. It's the word that gives our English word this, synergy. That's how we get the word synergy is from the Greek word that's used here to, that's translated in our English Bible, fellow workers. What is synergy? Synergy is that which is defined as the interaction or working together of two or more agents or forces which produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their individual effects. In other words, all of us are stronger and wiser than one of us. And if we pull our resources we can accomplish a lot more than we can out there by ourselves. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Paul is reminding us of here when he calls Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers. That when we come together and we all pull our gifts and abilities and talents together and we complement each other within the body of Christ, God can accomplish so much more through that synergy that takes place, you see. And I think that pleases the Lord when we as the body of Christ can do that. Also notice in verse 5, Paul says, also greet the church in their house. Because in those days there weren't buildings like this that the church met in. The church literally met in individual people's homes. Think about the sacrifice, think about the hospitality involved in having these house churches all over Rome. You see, the Roman church wasn't this big, huge building where all the Christians in Rome came to meet. They were scattered all over Rome in these little house churches. And Christians all over Rome had to be willing, like they were in the ancient world at that time all over, to open up their home and have people in. And that was a ministry. And it still is to this day. You know, sometimes in in our our world today, we've lost that gift of hospitality where we use our home and we use our resources, and the things that God has given us to bless the saints of God. I know that some of the most encouraging times in my life as a Christian has been when other Christians have invited me into their home and they've used that evening as somehow an encouragement to me. And maybe they were looking at it the other way. Maybe they thought, well, we're inviting you over so you can encourage us. But I always thought it went the other way. It was like, wow, what an encouragement to me. And that was happening there in Rome. Notice, greet my dear friend, and I'm going to just slaughter these names, can I just tell you? Eponidas, who was the first convert or the first fruit to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, don't miss this, who has worked very hard for you. And he's using a word in the Greek language that speaks about, I mean, he couldn't use a word stronger about the work that Mary did. She was a hard worker. Here was a gal, okay, Mary, very common name. 
Here was a gal in the church at Rome, Mary, that wasn't afraid of work. I don't think Christians should be afraid of hard work. It's one of the things that can help us to remain distinct from the culture in which we live. Because, to be honest, I think a lot of times in our modern society, we can get afraid of hard work. And yet Mary, this gal, was a hard worker. This word is used of laboring to the point of exhaustion. This is also a concept whereby it's not just describing the quantity of the work she did, but the quality she did. Because it's a concept whereby she was focusing and concentrating her efforts on one thing and doing it very well. And Paul says, this Mary needs to be recognized because she has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus, verse 7, and Junia, my compatriots, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my good friend Stachys. Verse 10, greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. And this word approved is a very key word as well. It is a word that indicates one's faithfulness after being tested. It's, it's a word that was used of, of, of metals that would be tested and put into the fire and heated up to make sure that either all the dross or all the impurities were burned out or that the quality of the metal was seen by the testing. And basically what he's saying of Apelles is this guy has been put through the fire And he's come out faithful. We would maybe say today this kind of phrase. He's tried and true. And we've all had people in our lives, friends, that we could say they're tried and true. They've been with us through the, as we say, the thick and thin of it. The good times, the bad times, they're there. They're tried and true. They haven't just been with us through the easy times and when everything was going well, but like a palace, man, they went through the fire with us and they come out the other side. They are tried and true. And their faithfulness. Again, anybody can maybe be faithful when everything's going well. This guy was faithful through some very difficult times. And that really shows the true commitment of folks. Notice also, greet those belonging to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my compatriot. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And my personal belief in verse 11 is that Narcissus was not a believer in Christ, but there were those in his household who were believers in Jesus Christ. And now we come to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. My favorite names. Tryphena and Tryphosa. I just love that. I told my wife if we'd have had two more girls, that was it, right? I just love those names. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Tryphena means delicate. Tryphosa means dainty. And yet, here's what I want you to see. These gals in the church at Rome that were delicate and dainty, 
Notice what he says about them. They are laborers in the Lord. Guess what? These delicate and dainty flowers weren't afraid of some hard work. In fact, the Greek word in verse 12 is the same word he uses up there in verse 6 to describe Mary. Hard workers. Gals that aren't afraid of hard work. Guys that aren't afraid of hard work. And that was what was making the church in Rome such a special place. Because these Christians weren't afraid to stand up for their faith. And they weren't afraid to work hard for the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis. Here's another gal. Same word. Who has worked hard in the Lord. He's commending these folks and saying, these folks should be appreciated for what they have done for the Lord. And can I just say that I think it's an important phrase that Paul continues to use here. Labors in the Lord, worked hard in the Lord. Because by using that phrase, he's telling us a couple things. He's saying that all this hard work and all this labor was done, I think, with the help of the Lord and with His enablement and with His strength. So they weren't doing this on their own. And I also think it reminds us that this phrase is telling us and all that they did was ultimately for the Lord. It wasn't for people. Because let's face it, if we do ministry and we do service for people and for the applause and appreciation of people, we're only going to do it for so long and then we're going to drop out. Because we never get the appreciation, we never get the encouragement, we never get the applause, we never get the props from other people that we probably deserve. But if we're doing it for the Lord, which is ultimately who we're supposed to be doing it for anyway, we know the Lord does not forget our work and labor of love. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. And He will ultimately reward us for everything we do. Even if it's giving a cup of cold water in His name, Jesus says, my Father will reward you for that. And so again, ultimately our service should not be for people. Ultimately it should be for the Lord, in the Lord, meaning in the sphere of the Lord, that His strength and ultimately for Him and not for others. Greet Rufus, verse 13, chosen in the Lord and his mother who was also a mother to me. That's cool. Even though I don't believe that she was Paul's literal mother, that there was a time in Paul's life where this gal really ministered to the Apostle Paul. And then he lists in verse 14 all these other names. The brothers, I'm not even going to go there. The brothers and sisters with them. Verse 15, he lists more names and all the believers who are with them. Then we get to verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. couple things. First of all, in order to maintain purity within the church, I think it was important that Paul said, greet each other as brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Because God wants His children to show their care, their warmth, their affection for each other, always though keeping it above board and with absolute purity. And culturally, it was done this way. I think we have to figure out how we can apply that same principle to you and I and our relationships with each other and to where we can show our warmth and care and love for each other, but always be able to do it above board. You see, and in absolute purity. 
Because we want to show each other, we should desire to show each other that we're all important to each other. And that this isn't just casual relationships here that God is building, but that God is, as Paul says in the book of Colossians, knitting our hearts together. In fact, keep your finger there in Romans. I think this is a cool passage. Go over to the book of Colossians. Through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and come to Colossians chapter 2. I love this passage. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not met me face to face. Verse 2, notice this. My goal for the church here in Colossae is that their hearts, having been knit together in love, may be encouraged and that they may have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But I want you to just... Uh, specifically tonight for for the sake of what we're talking about in the book of Romans, that first phrase in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Colossians. My goal is that their hearts having been knit together in love. It literally is this picture that, that God takes us as Christian brothers and sisters and literally weaves us together. And that we don't look at each other as some kind of just casual, disposal relationship that's not that important. But that we look at each other as, wow, it's huge that you're in my life. And it goes back to the importance of greeting each other with a holy kiss and showing each other in some way through our words and through our, our response and our body language how important we are to each other and how, how, how much we love each other and how much we care about each other and the warmth and the care that we should have for one another and how we should relate that to each other. And I realize that takes time within relationships. That's not something you do the first time you see somebody. They're going to think you're a little weird. But I do think that greeting people is so important putting a smile on your face and greeting them. I think that's one of the many reasons why people, visitors who've never set foot on our campus, feel comfortable is because when they come on the campus, there's people all over the campus that's greeting them and welcoming them and asking them if they can help them navigate the campus and find places and whatever and remember what it was like when we walked into the church and we didn't know where the bathroom was, where to check in, where the classrooms were, or anything like that, and that we always try to look at those people who are walking on our church campus, campus with those eyes and greet them and realize that just sometimes a warm hello is huge. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying here. But now notice verse 17. It's not all positive. He warns us. He says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, back in Romans 16, 17, to watch out for those who create dissensions. He's been talking about this now for several chapters. And obstacles contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Avoid them. For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. You see, we need to avoid them because they will deceive believers who lack discernment and if they're given a platform within the church, they can do great damage. Why? Because they're not there to exalt Christ or to bring unity to the body or to truly love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're there to promote their own self-agenda and they're going to create dissension and division within the body. 
which breaks the heart of God and destroys the testimony of the church. And so Paul says, don't give those people a platform. In fact, that phrase, watch out for, in verse 17, is again a military term. It's like Christians, let's realize that we've always got to be watchful for those that that may be coming into our midst who are trying to hurt what God is doing here. And that we're not so naive as to think that people aren't going to come in and try to promote their own agenda instead of getting on board with what God's already doing here and going with it. He says, be careful of those folks. Notice, because he goes on to say in verse 18, by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. You see, their arguments are persuasive and seem logical. But when they're scrutinized by Scripture and by sound interpretation, they're proven to be false. So the only way to really keep our judgment peaked, our discernment peaked, is to continually study the Bible and allow the Spirit of God to just keep leading and guiding us. In fact, notice in verse 19, your obedience is known to all, and thus I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Now, to comply with verse 19 of Romans chapter 16, one then must diligently study the Bible to know and practice the truth of Scripture. And one then doesn't need to necessarily dive into all the stuff that we shouldn't know. Because notice the biblical principle is, I want you to be wise about what is good, but innocent about what is evil. Can I just say from personal experience as a pastor, I have seen Christians blow up their lives by dabbling in stuff they shouldn't dabble into. I've seen Christians, for instance, just one example, who got fascinated by Satan and satanic stuff and the occult. And instead of being satisfied that everything they would need to know about Satan and the occult and all of that was in the Bible and anything more they didn't need to know, they started to dabble in it. And they got sucked into it and their Christian lives were very much damaged by it. Because they weren't practicing Romans 16 about being innocent about what is evil. You see, my personal belief is Everything that I need to know about Satan and his ways are in here. That's all I need to know. I don't need to read the book of Satan and the Satanic Bible. And I don't need to get into all that. I don't need to know all the lies out there and what what some false thing is teaching. I just need to know the truth and be familiar with the truth. If I spend as much energy and time and focus on diving into what God's truth truly is, I won't have a lot of time to dabble in what I don't need to dabble in anyway. So Paul says, Christians, keep our focus. And don't blow yourself up by dabbling into things that we don't really need to dabble into because God has given us everything we need right here from Genesis to Revelation. And then notice verse 20, the God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Notice then on the back side of this letter, he mentions those that were with him who wanted to send greetings to those in Rome. So Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, 
Sosipater, my compatriots. And then here's something very interesting in verse 22. I, Tertius, who am actually writing this letter, greet you in the Lord. You see, many believe at that point in Paul's life that Paul's eyesight was so bad that Paul could not write these letters. That what Paul would do was use a secretary, if you would, to write down, literally to write down the book of Romans. And that's what Tertius was doing. And Tertius was saying, I'm actually the guy writing this. This is pretty cool. You know, I, Tertius, over here, don't forget me. And can I just say this to encourage you? Tertius maybe even didn't think it was any big deal. That, in a sense, he was Paul's hand to write these 16 chapters. And maybe Phoebe didn't think it was any big deal that she was going to deliver the letter of Romans to the Roman Christians. But no believer can fully comprehend the significance of the little tasks he or she faithfully carries out. No Christian can fully comprehend the impact of those little tasks that you and I faithfully carry out. It was huge. What Tertius did was huge. What Phoebe did was huge. What you're doing is huge. And don't let your spiritual enemy or other Christians or other people or whatever minimize what maybe little things you're doing. Because as I've said before, there are no little things with God. There are no little people with God. There are no little places with God. It's all big with God. And God can take that little thing that we give Him and multiply it and use it to impact many more than we could ever imagine. One of the greatest Bible illustrations of that is the little guy that gave Jesus his little lunch. Five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus used what? That little lunch. that the little, And that's all He had was that. I'll give it to you, Jesus. Use it. And Jesus fed thousands of people. Jesus will never ask us for what we don't have. He's just asking us to open up our hands and give Him what we do have. And He will take it and He will multiply it. David the shepherd boy is another great biblical example of that. There's Goliath defying the armies of Israel. And David says, shouldn't we do something about this, guys? And nobody wanted to go out there and face Goliath but this little shepherd boy. And he tried to go out there in the armor of Saul and it wouldn't fit right and it didn't work right. And so he threw it off and he said, I'm just going out there with what I know. I'm a shepherd boy. I've used these stones to kill bear and and kill lion and keep them away from from, uh, my sheep throughout my shepherding. I'm just going to go out there with my sling and my stones and let God use it. And he gave God what he had and God used it to slay the giant. God will never ask you for what you don't have. All he's saying is, Jeff, whoever, give what you do have to me and let me use your life. And let me use what I've given you to glorify me and reach other people. No little things, folks. It's huge what you're doing. It's huge that you're here on Tuesday night. Don't minimize your faithful attendance to the mine on Tuesday night. That's huge. No little people. No little places. No little things in God's eyes. So Tertius, verse 22, was writing the letter. He greets them. Verse 23, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. By the way, I just have to stop here and say the Romans, and there's cultures that still do this today. Some of them, if they had a hard time naming their children, they just numbered them. (laughs) 
One, two, three, four. Like the first child sometimes in a Roman household, they were named Primus or Primos, first. The second child was named Secundus, second. The third, Tertius, three. The fourth, Quartus, and so on and so forth. That's how they could know who was born first. Oh, Primus was born first. He was first, you know. And that's what you see here. Tertius was third. Quartus was the fourth, you see. So anyway, some Roman culture there. Verse 25. Here's an important verse as we end the book of Romans. Because you know what? I have a feeling that all of us in this room are going to need God's strength this coming week. And notice what Paul reminds us. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Don't, don't forget that. I've got that underlined big in my Bible. <laughs> to him who is able to strengthen you. Never forget of God's ability to strengthen you. The Roman Christians were going through tremendous persecution under Nero and other Roman emperors. They were going through tremendous persecution and struggle and trial. And Paul says, but our God, the God of all strength, will strengthen you. He won't necessarily prevent you from going through the tough times, but he'll give you the strength to get through those tough times. He is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. In other words, all that the Bible talks about the person and work of Jesus Christ can strengthen. And this was really Paul's goal throughout the whole book of Romans. Was he wrote this to show them what a life defined by God looked like and to strengthen them in that. Because if you keep your finger there in Romans 16, go all the way back to the first chapter of Romans and notice verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So from the very beginning of the letter all the way to the end of the letter, it was all about, I want to do this, I want to say this, I want to come to you so that I can strengthen you. Back to Romans 16, 25. According to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed and through the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. What in the world is he talking about? The mystery that he's talking about is simply this, and it's expanded throughout the New Testament. And that is that Jews and Gentiles would become united in one body. You see, that wasn't really disclosed in the Old Testament. It was there maybe as a hint that God obviously was reaching out to Gentiles and would never turn his back on Gentiles and had a plan for the Gentiles, but that Jews and Gentiles could be united in one body and unify to serve and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about there. And in Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles. In the same church at Rome. And notice why all of this was being disclosed and why he was reminding them about the strength that God could supply to them to bring at the end of verse 26 about the obedience of faith. I mean, ultimately, when all is said and done, the goal is God wants his children to be obedient. Jesus says, if you love me, John 15, 16, you'll keep my commandments. And God wants His children, His sheep, to obey His voice and to follow Him. But here's the key. 
The Bible over and over again reminds us that my obedience is tied to my faith. And that's why he links them together here in Romans 16, verse 26. The obedience of faith, born out of faith. Because if I don't really believe what God is saying, I won't listen to it. The reason I will listen to it and follow it and embrace it and obey it is because I truly bought into it. I believe it. And that's why faith is always tied to our obedience. And that's why God wants to build our faith, because in building our faith, he can also build our obedience. Because out of our faith, obedience follows. It is the result of our faith. You show me a Christian who's struggling to trust God and believe in what he's saying, and I'll show you a Christian who's struggling in obedience at that point in their life. You show me a Christian, though, who says, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I'll show you a Christian who's probably not perfect, but their obedience level is going to be parallel to their faith level at that point. And God wants to strengthen our faith so that ultimately we will obey. Because again, it's all about what's best for us. And God knows what's best for us. We just need to be convinced God knows what's best for us. And that we don't know better than God does. And that we will trust God and believe in His Word and embrace what He says and follow. And follow. And that's why Paul ties these very important concepts of obedience and faith together. And then he ends this wonderful letter to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be glory forever. Amen. Before I open it up for a couple of questions tonight. I hope as we read all these names and went through Romans chapter 16. We were all reminded about those people in our lives. Maybe right now you're you're even seeing a face. Or, or, or there's a name or a couple names that's coming to mind. These Christians. Maybe it was the Christian who shared Jesus Christ with you. Maybe it was a Christian who encouraged you in your spiritual growth. Maybe it was a Christian who opened up the Scriptures to you. I don't know, but, but God is saying, don't forget that some of these folks are some of the greatest blessings I ever give to you down here on earth are your fellow Christians who come alongside of you, who are those tried and true friends, who are there with you through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times, and who will be there to encourage you throughout your walk with God. I think God is reminding us, as Paul was saying here, guys, I could not have done what I have done in my life without your help. And if Paul could say that, I think all of us could say that. And let me just say, again, because I don't want you guys to forget this. You all will never know how much of an encouragement you are to me just by your attendance on Tuesday night. That fires me up to get out there and to study diligently And to prepare my heart and my mind to come in here every Tuesday and try to share God's Word with you as passionately and practically and powerfully as I possibly can. So don't don't minimize the impact that you're making on Jeff Royce and the encouragement that God is using you guys in my life. And just to hear reports of how you're growing in your relationship with God and in your understanding of God's Word, that is such a huge encouragement to me. And I just... Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. All right? So we, we, do, we do this together. All right? And it's huge. Very huge. All right. 
The microphones. We got to get you microphones because we're taping this. And if we're if you're not on a microphone, then when the people are listening to this on the podcast, they're like, what do they say? So please wait for a microphone and let's get a couple questions in here in the last five minutes. Anyone? You talked about dabbling, you know, and but if you have a friend that you know that's like, like another religion that's not obviously yours, and um, is it? And when you talk to them, and you feel like, gosh, it doesn't seem like it's that different. But it, but you know, it is. Should do you try to find out like what they believe, so you know, you know, you, do you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know if it's dabbling, but to know what they believe, so. Right. No, I, I think I know where you're coming from, and I'm going to answer the question this way, and not everybody agrees with me, okay? This is my own philosophy, my own opinion. I want people who don't agree with me to know what I'm for, not what I'm against. I don't want to necessarily attack what they believe as much as promote what I believe. Now, I think there is some defense there because in promoting what I believe, that's antithetical to what they believe, in a sense that is going to be a roundabout attack of what they believe. But I would rather be known for what I'm for, not for what I'm against. And I don't think, in my 23 years of being a pastor, I don't, I don't need to know all about those other religions and things like that to be able to effectively minister to them and share Christ with them. For some of you that don't know, I've shared this before in some of my Bible studies. For many years, I deprogrammed people out of cults, all kinds of cults, from David Koresh-like cults to the San Diego-type cults to satanic cults and all of that. I did not need to know all the ins and outs of that cult, what they believed, in order to help them and deprogram out of that. I just needed to know the truth and share the truth with them. So I hope that helps. Maybe we're like fixating on one verse out of one doesn't really match with the message. But in verse 20 when he says, the God of peace will soon crush uh, Satan under your feet. Yes. Um, is, do you think he's using those to be purposely contradictory to each other? Like peace and crush Satan? <laughs> Or, I mean, is, yeah. that, is that like the idea of it? Well, my personal interpretation of verse 20, and that's a great question, and it is something that I didn't touch on tonight, is I think what he's reminding the Romans of is that when God finally does come, he is going to set up an earthly kingdom that will be peaceful. But there really will be no peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes, puts down Satan once and for all, puts down all world rebellion once and for all, and then sets up his earthly literal kingdom, which is what we call in theology the millennial kingdom of Christ that will last for literal thousand years on the earth. So I think that's what he's reminding them of. And he's giving them hope that right now they're under the authority of Rome and these, these emperors of Rome who are you know, dipping the Christians in tar and throwing them on posts and lighting them up to light the city of Rome and torturing them and throwing them into the Colosseum and all of that. And he's saying, but God, you, you have to look beyond your present circumstances and see that God ultimately gets the victory and God one day is going to 
transform this earth into a place of peace? Yeah, good question. All right, one more, and then we'll be dismissed. Over here. In Romans 16, um, let's see, that was verse 19, that one part that says, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And I was thinking about Christian authors such as C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Screwtape Letters, and I've seen another book out by a Christian author, 32 Minutes in Hell. I read The Screwtape Letters, and I know when I would read it at night and go to sleep, I would be under a spiritual attack, and the Lord told me, always end with my word and my promises. But it gave me so much insight into the wiles of the devil that it really opened my eyes as to the spiritual battle we're in. So I just wanted your feedback on that. I guess my feedback on that, and that's a great question, would be just be careful. Um, certainly, I, I've read C.S. Lewis. I think he's a great Christian author, but he's a man, too. We're all not, you know, infallible. And, and I do think that we have to be careful. My humble opinion is that the Bible gives me all the information I need to know how Satan attacks me what his schemes are, how he works. The Bible gives me all the information about Satan I need and that I don't need to go outside the Bible for anything about Satan. For me as a Christian to say, well, I've got the Bible, but I need this other information about Satan in order to be a committed Christian, then we're also saying that the Bible's not sufficient, that the Bible is not enough, and uh, I can't go there. Now, I'm not saying C.S. Lewis does that with the screw tape letters. I'm just saying... I think we do need to be careful. My thing is, you know me, I, I'm pretty much the book, you know. Uh, it's not that I don't read other books or whatever, but I just say, just be careful out there about the books that we read and how they affect you. And if they affect you that way, certainly I think it's great. That's a practice I've had for years is I like to end with meditating on a verse of Scripture uh, that seems to help me, especially someone like myself who struggled with anxiety and stress a lot of years, that actually going to bed with a verse of Scripture was a really uh, great way to end the day and to wake up the day even maybe having that in my mind. So, yeah, good. All right, let's close in prayer, guys, and I'll let you go. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together and for your word, and we pray that we would just continue to grow in our understanding of your word and, Lord, just keep us faithful to you. Thank you, God, for your strength in our lives. And just go with us through this week and remind us that you are the God of all peace, the God of all comfort, the God of all strength, the God of all encouragement. Everything we need, Lord, we can find in you. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Guys, don't forget, next Tuesday's our Christmas party. We're worship, Christmas message, and party. See you next week.